Thank you, ladies. Let's take our Bibles this morning and open together, please, the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 21, as we approach God's Word today, we come, we find the, a, a portion of, of David's life. And I love David. He was a man after God's own heart. He was not a perfect man by any means. Uh, he was merely a man just like you and me. You know, it's, it's been said that even the best men are, are, are men at best. And our, our, our prayer and confidence comes in the Lord. But as we come here to this particular passage of Scripture, we find that, that David's life was filled with unwanted and unpleasant things. Things that he never asked for. Things he never sought for. Yet they were thrust upon him. It would appear that his life circumstances uh, began to discourage him uh, as he began to plummet into a dark, dangerous, downward spiral. And his life over the next several years would be plagued by discouragement. Uh, they'd be plagued by, by opposition of a man named Saul who was the king of Israel. You see, David, he had already been anointed uh, future king over Israel uh, here in, in 1 Samuel chapter number 21. We find that, that uh, his fame had only grown more and more prominent. He was thrust into the limelight as he killed that giant Goliath, the champion of Gath, a man nearly 10 feet tall, going up against a, a teenage boy. And David, with the help of the Lord, won a great victory that day. His fame would only grow more pronounced as all the young ladies would write songs about David. And all of you young men in here, wouldn't you love for ladies to write songs about you? I'm not sure. They might write songs about you. I'm not sure you'd like them, though. But we consider all of the, the great things, all the great feats that David accomplished. These girls, they would write songs. Saul had slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. And Saul began... Uh, at that, at that time, he began to look at David differently. He began to become jealous, and this jealousy would only grow uh, more and more. And, and finally, we get to the point here where, where Saul is relentless in his pursuit of David's life, where he would stop at nothing until David was killed. What would you do if someone was after you? Well, say, well I'd call the police. You know, I'd call 911, I'd, I'd lock my doors, I'd buy a big dog. You know, we'd do all these things, we'd take measures into our own hands, but that's not what David did. You see, David, uh, he became desperate. You see, Saul was not the man that he once was. King Saul was not the man that the nation of Israel had anointed years prior as the king over Israel. In his arrogance, in his pride... And in his jealousy, he was consumed uh, with hatred and wrath toward David. And David fled. It was the only logical thing David could do as he fled into the land of the Philistines for to find refuge. And he made his way to a city called Gath. And he spoke there to the king of Gath named Achish. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read here beginning in verse number 10 of 1 Samuel chapter 21. And we'll read through chapter number 22 in verse number 2. Notice what the Bible says, 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning in verse number 10. 
And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before him and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see the man is mad. Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David therefore, chapter 22 and verse 1, departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning. We're thankful for its testimony. We're thankful for its truth. We're thankful for the principles that we find here. The Bible speaks of line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, uh, there a little. We're thankful, Lord, for its value. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And Father, our, our heart's desire today is that we would hear from Thee. Father, we've read the text. Father, we pray that You'd open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things from Your law. Father, we ask that you would encourage us this day and help us be the people you desire us to be. Father, we recognize our need for thee and that without you we can do nothing. But Lord, we ask that you would challenge us and that you would help us see the difference that you can make in the heart and life of a man. Lord, we pray, Father, that if there's someone here today who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation. Challenge us, Lord. Help us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to perhaps an unseemly statement found at the end of verse number 22. The Bible mentions about 400 men. Notice it right there at the end of verse 22. The Bible says about 400 men. What is the significance or what is so special about these 400 men? Oftentimes we, we would read through this and pass the significance of these verses. We understand that, that everything that God uh, records for us in His Word is of utmost value. That there is nothing in God's Word by mistake. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And as 
as David's life is chronicled for us here in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22, we read that God brought to him in a time of great desperation, a time of great discouragement, about 400 men. I love the life of David. As I mentioned moments ago, the Bible tells us that God describes David as a man after his own heart. David loved the Lord. David followed the Lord. Uh, he was not an idolater. Uh, his heart was to always seek after God. Uh, as the heart panteth after water brooks, so panteth my heart after thee, O Lord God. He, he loved the Lord. He pursued the Lord. But in times of hardship and desperation, God gifted him something. In verse 1, we read how David's family came. And, and aren't you glad that blood is thicker than water? At least it ought to be. Uh, when the Bible says that, that brothers are born for adversity, I tell my boys, you guys must be in a lot of trouble in life because you've got three brothers. You know, we've got four boys in the house. Brothers are born for adversity. David's family went to him in the, in the hold there at the cave of Dulem. But God gave him 400 unseemly friends that went to him. What's the significance of these 400 men? Why don't you hold your place here in 1 Samuel chapter number 22 and look with me, if you would, in 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter number 11. This is, I enjoy reading this portion of Scripture. It excites me. I've been to some of these places and seen how God wrought these feats. And uh, the, in the first few verses of chapter number 11, we read how, how the Lord brought David to be king over Israel, how he reigned in Hebron, but that God allowed him to move to Jerusalem. And it describes how David and his men, really Joab, went in and took uh, the city uh, of Jerusalem, which was an Je old Jebusite stronghold. And the Jebusites, they, they pounded on their chest. You know, that's, that's my, divine, my sanctified imagination here. Pounded on their chest and there's no way you're coming in here. But they did. And they took the city of Zion, the Bible says. But as we look further in the chapter, we find here statements concerning David's mighty men. Look what the Bible says, beginning in verse number 10. We are introduced to these mighty men. It says, these also uh, are the chief of the mighty men whom David had. I want you to, no to note that statement here in your Bible. The mighty men uh, which David had. My prayer for my life is that God would help me be a mighty man. Not for me, not for my sake, but for the Lord's sake. Uh, and even in Sunday school this morning... Uh, the, the lesson re, kind of revolved around becoming a chief man, one of God's chief men. How God would use your life and, and take what we have, which isn't much, which isn't a whole lot, but he can take what you've got and he can use it for his glory. Think about that little lad that, that gave the Lord his lunch. Here we have a small child with just uh, uh, a couple fish and a, and a handful of loaves of bread. And how he gave them to Jesus. And the Lord took that and multiplied it and fed the multitude. We're, friends, we're not much, but God through our lives can do something mighty. Amen. And we find here that David had these mighty 
men. Look what the Bible says as we read here in verse number 10. It says, Who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom, and with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. It says, and, and this is the number of the mighty men. And the Bible goes on to describe them and, and uh, describe some of the, the great, uh, her, uh, the great uh, heroism that these men displayed. For instance, the Bible says of a man in verse number 20, it says, And Abishai, the brother of Joab, he was chief of the three, for lifting up his spear against 300. He slew them and had a name among the three. This man, he killed 300 men by himself. In verse number 22, it says, uh, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, uh, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. Also, he went down and slew a lion in, the, in a pit in a snowy day. He slew an Egyptian man of great stature, five cubits high, and the Egyptian's hand, uh, I'm sorry, in the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam. And he went down with him with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. These are some pretty tough guys. They're, that's why the Bible describes them as mighty men. But you know why I'm encouraged this morning? Because they're men just like you and me. You know, they're all made of the same stuff. And Christians, this morning, I want you to recognize that through your life, God can do something mighty. But there's something more I'd like to show you concerning these mighty men. Remain in the same chapter here. And the Bible says in verse number 15 of 1 Chronicles chapter 11, remember, these 400 men who were in distress, who were in debt, who were discontented, they went to David when he was in Adullam. And notice what the Bible says here, beginning in verse number 15. It says, Now three of the thirty captains went down to the rock to David, into the cave of what? Adullam. And the host of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in the hold, and the Philistines' garrison was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem that is at the gate. David, he's held up there in, in this cave, and there's the mighty men with him, about 400 men. The Bible references that three of them were here, and that they went out as David said, Man, I'm thirsty. Have you ever been thirsty? Have you ever, here's a question, have you ever craved something from your childhood? Anybody? It's like, man, no one could make that like my mother. Right? And there's something about that that just, man, I could, man, if I, I could get some of that right now. My wife grew up in West Virginia, and she loves Corn, her, her, great, her grandmother's cornbread. And it's phenomenal. It's great. But I remember when we had first gotten married, we'd lived out in the country. We had a, our house had a well. And the water was very rusty. And, you know, it would stain your whites in the washing machine. How many of you have ever lived in a place like that? It's horrible, isn't it? And, and my, my, my wife's parents, they had a well... Uh, at their house, and it was, and it came right up out of the out of the mountains of West Virginia. And that water, it tasted different than the well water of our house. 
It was crisp. That was, and this might sound strange, but it, it seemed as if there was just, a, it was smoother, more refreshing. And she said, man, we would go, we would go to West Virginia and we'd bring back jugs of water because it was better water than the water we had. Picture David for just a moment. He's held up in this cave. He's like, man, I'm thirsty. But I'm thirsty for water. But not just any water. The water from the well in my hometown. And these men, they, they burst through the lines of these Philistines. They went back and they got David the water he had asked for. Look what the Bible says. In verse 18 it says, And the three break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink of it, but poured it out to the Lord and said, My God forbid it me that, that I should do this thing. Shall I drink the blood of these men that have put their lives in jeopardy? For with the jeopardy of their lives they, they brought it. Therefore he would not drink of it. These things did these three Notice how the Bible describes them. The mightiest. You know, as we remember Memorial Day, we remember the mighty feats of our men and women in our military uh, who, like William Treptow, that President Reagan referenced, under heavy artillery fire, carried a message through no man's land between battalions and lost his life. You, you read stories of, of the great World War II battles like in Iwo Jima, in Guadalcanal, and Tarawa. Uh, my great-grandfather, his name was Harold Fisher, and he fought for, uh, for General Patton. And I remember hearing stories of, of my great-grandfather as, as he was in that infantry division that, that went and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. And now he was captured by the Germans. And the, and the fact that he even survived his captivity was miraculous. But these, they fought and they died. They served valiantly. Won mighty victories. You consider Fallujah, Afghanistan, Vietnam, Korea. These brave men and women that fought and served. I love America. I'm grateful to have been born in the greatest nation the world has ever known. Earlier this, well, this past week, my wife and I were able to take our boys to the state house and, uh, and listen to a, a presentation by the historian David Barton. The man knows a lot about American history. It's quite impressive. But he made this statement there in, in the atrium of, of, our, of the state house said the average constitution lasts no longer than 10 years. 
How long has our Constitution lasted? America won its independence in 1776. For 250 years, the Constitution of the United States has stood. Why? Because it's exceptional. We're grateful to live in this free, la- this free land. But as much as I love America, I remember when I was 18 years old, uh, the day after I turned 18, I couldn't do it on the day I turned 18 because I was in the woods hunting deer. But the day after I had turned 18, my mother says, all right, come on. I'm like, where are we going? So we're going to the post office. Okay. Little did I know, she registered me for the draft that day. And if my number was called, I'd go. I'd fight. Why? Because I love America. But you know who I love more? I love the Lord. And while I live on this earth and I'm grateful for where God has caused me to be, Allowed me to be born here. I'm not living for here. I'm living for heaven. We've sang some songs this morning. Hold the fort. Faith is the victory. Count me. We need to live for heaven. David, he's a great picture, a great type of Christ in the Old Testament. And through David, God allowed these 400 men to be mighty. He made them mighty men. They were valiant. I want to make a difference for the Lord. Do you want your life to make a difference for Christ? Do you, in your heart, want God to take your life and do with it greater things than you could ever possibly imagine? Do you want your life to make a difference, not just for time? I don't want to just be known to have lived I want to be known as having made a difference for Jesus Christ. How can that be? Mighty men. Do you want to be a mighty man for the Lord? As you look back in 1 Samuel chapter 22, this one verse we find two requirements. Verse 2, we find two requirements of mighty men. These 400 were used mightily by God. Still to this day, militaries around the world study the movements of these mighty men. They study the victories of David's armies. Why? Because God used them. 
But notice the first requirement. The Bible says in verse number 2, it says, And everyone that was in distress, would you know what the word distress? And everyone that was in debt, would you mark the word debt? And everyone that was discontented, would you mark the word discontented? Gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. If God is going to use our lives for his glory, we must allow the hurt to do its work. These men, their lives were not perfect. These men, they were living through some very difficult times. They were distressed. They were trapped. Have you ever heard the the term stuck between a rock and a hard place? That describes these men's lives. They were in a place. How they got there, we do not know. But the circumstances of their lives made them feel as if there was no way out. There was no way to escape. They could not get over it. They could not move beyond it. They could not get past it. They were in distress. I mean, I tell you that the distress brought desperation. They were willing to do whatever it took. We also read that they were in debt. They owed something to somebody that they could not pay. And may I tell you, all of us have a debt that we cannot pay. And it's not a financial debt. It's not your mortgage. It's not your car payment. It's not your electrical bill. And it's the debt of sin. You and I, we cannot pay that debt on our own. If we choose to do so, we spend eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. But Jesus paid our sin debt in full when he died on the cross. He rose in victory from the grave, and he gives us eternal life if we will just place our faith and trust in him. We all have a debt, but the circumstances of of these men's lives, their indebtedness brought about desperation. They were discontented. They were unsatisfied with the status quo. Do you know that there are the majority of Americans at this very moment, especially when they're at the gas pumps, are discontent with the status quo? They're they're no longer satisfied with life. They they look back at the storied history of their people. How God made a mighty nation from just one old man and his old wife, Abraham and Sarah, who were beyond years of having children, yet God gave them a son, Isaac, who had two sons, Jacob and Esau. From Jacob had 12 children, the tribes of Israel. God took them down into Egypt where they were but few. And 400 years later, he brought them out of Egypt as a mighty people. He brought them through the Red Sea. He brought them through the the Jordan River. Uh, God gave them conquest of the land. God God used them. God, they had a great and storied nation. Great storied past. They had a king who they loved, past tense. They loved him. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He looked kingly. He acted kingly until he didn't. 
and their nation began to fall apart. And they were discontented with the status quo. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we allow the hurts of our lives to keep us from where we need to be. But recognize this, that the hurts of life are a blessing from the Lord. I want you to hold your place here and look with me, if you would, quickly to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 8. We see this promise extended to God's children. In Romans chapter 8, in verse number 28, Understand this, Christians, that, that God, is, God is working in your life to strengthen your faith. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 28, he says, And we know that all things work together for good. It doesn't always seem like it, though, does it? Sometimes you have bad days. Sometimes the phone rings and you don't want to answer it because you know what's about to happen. Sometimes you, someone comes to you and you think, oh great, here we go again. The difficulties of life. You hear bad news, bad things happen. But the Bible says and we know that all things work together for good. But notice what else the Bible says there. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. Do you realize that God has a purpose in it? Every, every hard thing that comes into your life, God has a purpose for. And you might see it as evil, but may I tell you that God meant it for good. Think of the life of Joseph who did nothing wrong. Who loved the Lord. The Bible does not say one negative thing about the man Joseph in the Old Testament. Yet his brothers betrayed him, sold him into slavery in Egypt, where he was falsely accused and cast into prison and forgotten. Until he wasn't. The Lord brought him out of prison. And at the end of his life, after great circumstances, how, how God used Joseph to save civilization from starvation. His brothers come to him after his father Jacob had passed away and were begging for forgiveness. They were begging for mercy. Oh, don't kill us. Oh, don't mistreat us. Oh, don't throw us into jail. We love you. Forgive us. You know. And he said, hold on. You meant it for evil, yeah, amen. but God meant it for good. Praise Christians, what we need to do, we need to get beyond it. We live in a society today where we're all a bunch of victims. But you're not a victim. Yes, that's right. You're a child of God. Praise the Lord. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Yes. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Don't be a victim. Well, everybody just mistreats me. No, they don't. No, they don't. You know what you'll have? You'll have hardship. Man is a few days and full of trouble. But see the hurt for what it truly is. It's a blessing. 
It's a blessing. And you consider the lives of these 400 men. They were in distress. They were in debt. They were discontented. And, yet, and in all of that, they said, you know what? I'm just going to go over here. I'm just going to sit down. Um, whatever. Just leave me be. Is this what they did? No. They got up and they went to the person who could do something about it. Every hurt of your life is a blessing when you see it in the context of God. Do you realize that he is the author and finisher of our faith? Not one thing enters your life without the Lord already knowing it would be. God makes no mistakes. He's faithful. But what he does, he allows these hardships to come to propel us along the journey to him. Hardships come, why? To bring us to Jesus. As we remember Memorial Day, I'm reminded of the statue that rests in New York Harbor. It's the Statue of Liberty. Fastened to the base of the statue is a plaque. And on this plaque there reads a poem written in the late 19th century by Emma Lazarus entitled, The New Colossus. The poem describes this Statue of Liberty, but in the closing lines of this poem, it's as if the statue itself begins to speak. And if the statue could say something, what would it say? Listen, the statue would say, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. You realize that Jesus is seeking. He's seeking to save that which was lost. And no matter how hard life is, no matter how difficult things are, it's only through Christ that you can have refuge. It's only through Christ that you can have relief. It's only through Jesus that you can find what your thirsty soul craves. I want you to look with me, if you would please, in Matthew chapter 4. We see the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter number 4, we read here uh, some of the mighty things that our Savior accomplished in His earthly ministry. This is early on uh, in, his, in His earthly ministry. But in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, number 23, the Bible says this, and, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And notice what the Bible says in verse 24. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy and 
Notice, and he healed them. What do you need today? Friends, you need healing. You need healing. There is a problem in our society today. You've seen it. It's been manifest on the news all week. And may I tell you, the problem is not firearms. The problem is not mental health. The problem is a Christless society. And if something will truly make a difference, it's only Christ that can heal. It is only Jesus that can save. It is only the Lord that can take the wickedness of man and make it new. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. People, all things are become new. It's only through Christ. He healed them. Doesn't our society need healing today? Back in the 1960s, the U.S. Supreme Court did something detrimental to our society. Something unprecedented. They removed God from every public institution. You can no longer pray in schools. You can no longer have the Ten Commandments. They removed the Lord. And now you fast forward, oh, what, 60 years? You see a new generation of Americans. My generation, don't hold this against me, but I'm a millennial. Came at the very, I just, man, I just squeaked in. (laughs) But I don't live in my parents' basement, thankfully. But all kidding aside, over 40%, it might, be, it might be 60%. Anyway, it's a big number. A millennials don't believe in God, don't care if he even exists, and don't want to bother finding out. What needs to happen? We need to return to the Lord. There's no social issue that will fix society because it's not a social problem. It's a spiritual problem. And there needs to be a return to Jesus Christ. But these 400 men, they made their way to the cave. Notice the second requirement as you close here this morning is that they made David their captain. They made David their captain. And if you and I will will be mighty for the Lord, you and I, we must make Christ our captain. Look what the Bible says in in verse 2 of 1 Samuel chapter 22. It says, and he became a captain over them. What is this captain? What is, the, what is the role a captain plays? Well, a captain, he gives commands. The captain gives the orders. That we follow. He's in charge. 
know, sometimes I wonder what would have happened to those 400 men had they gone and then left. They went to the cave. Then they left. You know what would have happened? They would have gotten temporary relief. But they would have just gone back to become ordinary men. They would not have been named. First Chronicles chapter number 11. As mighty men, they would not have their feats described. There would be no honor placed upon them. There would be no law, no reward, no, no place of prominence. And probably what would have happened is they would have gone back and become once again in distress. In debt. And discontented. You know, here, here's, here's the great truth. Would you, I want you to write this down. To make Jesus, no, no, no. To keep Jesus as your captain. To keep Jesus as your captain breaks the cycle of sin and hurt. To keep Jesus as your captain breaks the cycle of sin and hurt. Are you tired of it? So oftentimes we feel like we're trapped in it, don't we? Like I just can't get over it. I just can't get past it. I just can't get beyond it. Yeah, you can. You can do it. Well, you can't, but the Lord can through you. You've got to follow him. You've got to remain. Don't come. Don't just come and go. Come and stay. That's what these men did. They came and they stayed. I see many people who come and they place their faith in Christ and, and we rejoice. But they don't stay. They come to know Christ as their Savior, but life happens and they stray. And what ends up happening is they fall back into that pattern, into that cycle of distress, debt, and discontentment. I want you to write this down. Those who stay, those who stay become mighty. Those who stay become mighty. Don't you want God to use you? Stay with Him. Do as He says. Love Him. Live for Him. Jesus says, hey, if you love me, keep my commandments. And He says this, and my commandments are not grievous. In other words, they're not going to harm you. They're not going to hurt you. 
They're going to make you better. Because remember what Jesus said in John chapter 10? He says, he said this, I am come that you might have life. That you might have it more abundantly. If you want God to make you a mighty man, you've got to allow, you've got to see the hurt as blessing. Allow it to move you to Jesus. Then make him your captain. Don't just come and go. Come and stay. Oh, taste and see. The Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Jesus said of his, to his disciples, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What God wants us to be, he will make us as we follow Jesus. There's about 400 men. wasn't many. Maybe four times the amount of people that are in this room this morning. Not a very big army, but God did great things through them. Won't you allow God to use your life? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's stand together this morning.